Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. You know, I hear uh, that Digitex ad. It's 1235 in Edmonton, by the way. I'm going to bring Dave Campbell back in momentarily. You know, Dave, so Hugh Porter knows what he's doing because that's, he's got Kelsey Campbell's voice in on that ad. He's got Brian Hall doing the. Uh, the, the, the commercials with him, and then he's got me doing the live uh, uh, liner. So he's got like three different personalities from the station here involved in his Digitex campaign, including Halsey. It's like a good quarterback who spreads the offense around. That's exactly what Hugh's done. And I got to tell you, did you, ever, you saw the movie Risky Business? Yes. Do you remember the line, uh, Princeton needs Joel at the end of the movie? Yes. I would suggest to you that Oilers now needs Hugh Porter from Digitex. I'm just saying... <laughs> He's a very popular guy. Thank you, Hugh. Yes. Thank you. Yes, especially in Kelowna in, like, August. That's Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I'm not naming any locations or anything, right? Uh, the Grand Okanagan. Anyhow, I digress. All right, uh, welcome back. Uh, this is Oilers Now. Bob Stauffer with you. And I'll tell you that guests on our show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. Follow Sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Maggie and the staff, Oilers now sent you. We bring aboard one of the most popular guests we've had on the show since day one. He's actually been with us all eight years that we've now been at 630 Chip. From NHL Hockey and Rogers, our lead analyst with Hockey Night in Canada. He was, he, I can no longer use this line, Craig Simpson. You are yeah. no longer the last Edmonton Oiler to score 50 or have a 50th goal of the season scored as an Oiler. Um, and you know what? You showed a lot of class afterwards congratulating Leon Dreisettle because it happened. That, that must have been a cool moment for you as well as you watched that. Oh, I was, I was very pleased for him. I, I think you look at the kind of season he had and the kind of push that he went on, what, about the last 20, 25 games of the season where he, he had that one stretch that – really uh, brought him into the conversation of being close to 50. Uh, uh, as I said on game, what, 81, uh, I, I think he would have been so devastated had he not been able to get it because he had so many good chances. He had the goalposts with an empty net. And, you know, all you would think about through the course of your time afterwards is the ones that you missed. So uh, I, I did find it interesting. It's almost with, with him scoring and then Connor getting hurt. 
I thought he kind of ran out of gas because, you know, that, I think the opportunity was there to at least tie uh, Ovechkin for the Rock, for the Richard trophy. But uh, I, I thought a lot of the wind came out of his sails after, you know, he got the relief of getting it and then all the game, the disappointment with Connor getting hurt and the uncertainty there. So, yeah, heck of a season, uh, really excited. And, you know, that's what those kind of milestones are there for, is for people to try to achieve them and get them, and I uh, couldn't have been happier for them. Here's the thing, Craig. If you watch highlights of Craig Simpson coming out of Michigan State back in the day, you could see that you were going to be a goal scorer. You had good hands. You were net front presence. You were good on tips. You know what I mean? You knew where to go to score. I don't think it was a surprise that you could, you know, you would score goals in the NHL level. I, after seeing Leon playing Prince Albert, I got to tell you, I like to think I'm a know-it-all, and there's about 35,000 people listening to the show right now that might <laughs> that might know more about hockey than me. Maybe not, but you know what I'm saying. I did not see Leon being this prolific of a goal scorer. Did you? Well, yes and no. I think that uh, if you look at him and you sort of sense what his strengths are, you would say good patience and control with the puck, a great passer. He's a forehand and a backhand passer, which, uh, you know, not as a dying art, but that's a, that's a great asset to have, to be able to pass it both ways, to be able to take advantage of both sides. I think he shows uh, really depth with his uh, touch you know for a big man he's got soft hands and he can feather those little saucer passes across so I, I think if you if you grilled him of what his instinct was when he came into the league I think he would have said you know I'm a passer and I can really play that game but when you know we've talked so often about reading the situation that you're in and uh when you come to a uh, environment where now all of a sudden you look at what Connor does and how much focus and attention he brings every time he touches the puck, I think he was very smart and worked really hard at saying, if I'm going to get a chance to play with him, and at first maybe it's just on the power play, maybe it's a few times at the end of a shift or start of a shift, it ended up being you know playing on the left wing with him. But I think what he realized was i got to explore – and really improve on my uh, my quick release, my t- in tight plays, because Connor uh, attracts so much attention. You know, very much like Wayne in his days, where you, if you're playing with a guy like that, you got to watch what the defenders are doing and where they're going. And so often, Bob, you have the puck on 97 stick, and three of the four guys who are defending in that play eyes are all on him. So if you get into that mindset of finding that soft seam and I said before I think uh, Leon did such a good job of backing up into an area or finding that cross seam pass and just moving your body but always being ready to shoot Uh, I thought he really uh, developed that grew confidence in that and he also reminded me a lot of Mark uh, Messier with that little forehand backhand between the legs on the breakaway you know he he really did grow in confidence with that. And, that and that's what i'm saying about soft hands and real confidence with the puck and controlling where you're taking the goaltender so you know I, I the long answer to that is i always felt that he did have a good shot he had a deceptive shot i think he really worked on the quickness of his release and always being ready to shoot and then what i what was unique to him you know unlike a lot of players is just that confidence of those little plays in tight to open up the goaltender's five hole. Because trust me, I think it'll be a heck of a lot more difficult for him next year 
to duplicate those kind of goals on goaltenders because goaltenders will have a book on them. Goaltenders won't open up. They'll be more patient. And, you know, all it'll take is early in the year coming in on one of those breakaways and trying that. And, you know, you look bad when you miss those because it's a weak shot that just goes off the goaltender's stick. I think that'll be an adjustment for him next year because he scored so many good goals like that this year. Yeah, he scored a you know a couple of shorthanded goals the exact same way. One in Nashville yep. and then one against San Jose. Turnover, gets a breakaway coming off uh, the left side and then opens up the goalie and sifts it through him five And to on. me, that was like watching Mark Messier. You know, yeah. I was usually trailing that kind of play, but yeah. to me, that's where I, I, Bob, as a shooter, never had the confidence in that kind of move. I, I don't think I even attempted that one time. Uh, and so it is one of those things that you just have to have real faith in the in your ability to open up that five hole. And I, I think that's where, you know, that's what's so incredible about Ovechkin's what you know eight fifty goal or eight uh, and one forty nine uh, uh, and yeah. one forty nine. <laughs> and because you always have to change, you always have to be able to make some sort of adjustment because every goaltender now. When you play, you know, the Edmonton Oilers, okay, you got to worry about McDavid, but you're going, God, you, you got a 50-goal score that you you go in with a book and say, where do I expect the shot to come from? Where do I expect him to go? If he's in on a breakaway, what's he going to do? And that's what's great about, uh, you know, longevity of being a score, a good score year after year is you're going to have to battle those one-on-one uh, with the goaltenders when they have a real sense of what you like to do. Yeah, I watched all 50 of his goals last night. There are a couple of great videos out there. There's one that's got the McDavid highlights this year from a guy named Connor McMatthews. That's yep. what he goes as his handle. And then there was somebody put a compilation of the 50 that Leon scored. He had at least five goals where McDavid had the puck sort of in the you know the center offensive zone, faked a move to the right, then went to his left. He's a left shot, drags everybody over, and then reverses yep. back the goaltender's thinking he's going to shoot it and instead he slides it right back through his seam and there's Leon Rifflin at home. I don't think that play is going away. That play, no. because McDavid's so gifted and talented that the goaltender have to play it, uh, play it honest. So the Oilers had some individual success stories. Ultimately they didn't get it done. We knew this Craig, basically a week and a half and two weeks ago. Um, i got to ask you a question just in terms of from a an uh, maybe an optics perspective, but how quickly do you think Bob Nicholson has to have somebody in place as a general manager here? Well, I was thinking that watching, uh, yeah, I was traveling, but watching some of the press conference, and uh, I was expecting you to, to talk about it a little bit. I, I was really surprised that he had Keith Gretzky up there with him. Uh, to me, it's a little bit of a confusing um, balance between the two. Uh, you know, it says to me, if, if they're truly... Uh, it's all out there that you're going to have interviews and you're going to make a change. Okay, everybody understands that Keith's in the mix. I thought it was an uncomfortable position to put Keith in. Uh, I thought it was a, an odd one in terms of trying to make some discussion points about what you're going to do and how you're going to approach the, ga- the draft when you say, well, am I going to be in that role or what role am I going to play? Uh, as you know, Bob, any general manager that's going to get hired who is, let's say, an assistant general manager with a team right now, there's a bit of a delay on what you can and can't do around the draft. So, you know, teams aren't going to allow their top assistant general manager to go to another team, whether it's in the same conference or even just in the league, and bring all their scouting and all their uh, 
reports on players. So often, I you know, it's a it's an odd time again because anybody who you're going to bring in will be somewhat limited in, for, in terms of the draft, and you're not going to start fresh on what's happening at the draft. So uh, I think from Keith's perspective and the you know scouts that are in there, you've got to be prepared going forward that you're doing the draft that this is where we're going to discuss over the next months with whoever gets brought in. Uh, I think the interesting thing, though, is, and you've talked about it and a number of the fans were, you know, you have to improve on either the deal-making or the NHL scouting that you've done because, as you laid out there, the the deals that were made, and I go back right to the very first draft. The, The Reinhardt deal on draft day is what was the beginning of the end, in my opinion. It, it turned out to be such a bad deal and such a bad uh, trade. You know, you could argue the different ones with with Hall and Larson, okay, and then this year was a disaster. So, you know, I, I do think that it was an odd thing to me to have Keith up there. I agreed with what I listened to before about Speck talking about what type of person Keith is and what he's done from a work perspective. But I just didn't think it was the, the right time to have him sitting next to Bob there. I, you know, it was really interesting. Uh, back to the question that got asked uh, about, you know, Jason, the way he structured that, uh, Jason Gregg, the way he structured that question, he was giving Keith the opportunity to distance himself from, from Peter, the deals. From yeah. the deals. And like a good teammate, he didn't distance. He, it was. A self and we know self-serving people, Craig, in this business. A self-serving guy would say, "Well, you know what? For eleven of the first twelve weeks of the regular season, I was on the road scouting. Yes, I spoke to Peter, but you know, that's more on." He didn't do that. He said, "Well, yeah. when, when we and to me that revealed a lot about his character, and not that I already didn't know it, because you know what, we, uh, you know, the first year Keith was here, he was with us about half the time in the fall." Because he yeah. wanted he wanted to get to know different parts of the organization, and then he went out on the scouting trails, sort of in the second half, um, right of the sixteen seventeen season. Um, but I I did think that that revealed, and you know what? Maybe you can educate our listeners because you have a personal relationship more so with Wayne. But that's kind of the way the Gretzky's are, aren't they? Like they're they are team first people. Oh, for for sure, and then, you know, let's face it the the amount of venom and vitriol that's out there in terms of, you know, what's going to be done and who's going to be a part of it and who's getting traded. It's a difficult landmines for him to go around. And I, I feel for him in a lot of ways. And, you know, like Speck was saying, uh, I, I'm not sure this is going to be the place that makes sense for him to be the general manager just yep. because of all that. Yep. And he started on a negative. And that's where, you know, to me, I didn't understand the messaging there. You know, it's one of two things. It's either just because you you didn't want to exclude Keith from that press conference, uh, uh, you had him there, or you're trying to send the message that he's going to be here. You know, it, it, could it, be, it was could a it, little could, confused. Craig, could it be a third thing? Could it be Keith was there to help Bob out in the hockey stuff? If there was yeah, specific yeah, questions, sure. right? Could it, I mean, not that, you know, look, Bob was involved in the Olympic program and did a terrific job sort of on the administrative side of things with Hockey Canada. And grew but it's that. a different animal. But it's, it's a complete different animal. So in the, in the minutia, Keith was there as a backup to address those sort of things. So, so here's the way I feel, though. I, I think the clock is ticking. Okay, the playoffs start tonight. There's yep. a, you know, two months going forward. The draft, as much as it seems like it's in the distance, will, will come very, very yep. quickly. And yep. 
that's what I was saying about all the legwork that's been done on the amateur side isn't going to change overnight, even if you have a general manager come in who's not right now with another team. You know, that yeah. ultimately would allow and free up the general manager to do more. But as you know, Bob, if you're hiring someone at the end when their team gets eliminated, let's say it's uh, mid-May, it's not a Stanley Cup final team, yeah. uh, they can't come in and completely take over the draft. You're going to a new organization. You'll have restrictions from your old organization about what you can be a part of. So that's a difficult decision. So I, I do think there, there's one of two things that the team has already made their decision about the draft and saying, Keith, you're going to be here no matter what. You've done the legwork of organizing that. It's your draft in that regard. Um, but that's a tough one, too, if you're going to have to wait for two months to say who's our new general manager coming in. And I do agree, you have to give that general manager the ability to say, what do I need? Who do I need to be around? Uh, you know, you, no GM is going to come in and within a week or two, be able to change all the scouts and be able to change all that before the draft. That's just an impossibility, and there's really no there's no scouting to do then anyway, so it doesn't necessarily matter. I do think, though, it's imperative that the new hire does just have the ability to come in and say, this is who I have that I trust and I feel, and this is the, the bodies that I need to bring in and make the changes that you have to. All right. Well, we should mention Peter Shirelli came in April 24th, and on June 20th, of course, he hired Tom McClellan in May of 2015. On June 20th, he fired Stu McGregor, head amateur yeah. scout. He fired Maury Gare, head pro scout. He fired Brad Davis and Ken Hawley. They were amateur guys, and I think they moved out Dave Smenko at that time as well, God rest his soul. Yeah. So there, were, there was an illustration of where a guy made some moves. And, there, and there's the timeline, though, of you need to take a little bit of time. Sure. Your work at the higher end, those guys aren't actually scouting at that point anyway yep. and the work's been done and you get a feel of what you like about them what you dislike the strengths weaknesses and you have to be able to make that change because the the bulk of the scouting and organization is done at that point uh going into the draft all right some quick hitters for you todd mcclellan should he go to los angeles or buffalo looks like he's got his option where would you go if you were him hi <laughs> I laughed and said, is it not, again, Buffalo being the leverage point of the NHL? Uh, if, you, if you remember Mike Babcock, Buffalo was the leverage point uh, before the Leafs. It was like, oh, he's going to sign in Buffalo, and then he went on. And I couldn't help but chuckle when I thought of uh, the, the West and Los Angeles being where everyone was saying it. You know what? Um, it's a, to me, it's a scenario that says if, if you're looking from an opportunity-wise, from a team perspective that's not in cap trouble and maybe getting a little older, Buffalo is probably the upside and a better opportunity. Uh, again, though, if you're making a decision, you know, I think so often, just like players who are free agents, lifestyle and where do you want to live and where do you want to be, Los Angeles is going to continue to try to be a competitive team. I think Buffalo probably has the ability to change that and turn that around and has the better, younger assets than Los Angeles does. Right. But that doesn't mean he's necessarily going to go there. All right, Craig. So the Maple Leafs, and you worked the series last year, they lost in seven to Boston. They didn't have Kadri for three games. They've added uh, Tavares. They've added Muzzin. Why is everybody thinking Toronto's got no chance in this series? I don't, I get, think, I don't get it. I think you just look at the, the style of play and the defensive possibilities. You know, they, there's one thing about being a, you know, a good offensive team, but let's not kid ourselves. Like the best offensive line 
in the series is Boston's, not Toronto's. Right. You know, the, uh, the Bergeron line has a has an incredible run, a hundred and or two hundred and sixty points uh, between the the three of them. The other guys have two hundred and twenty three, I believe, the Tavares group. So, you know, as much as you say Toronto can score offensively. I just think that when you come right down to it, uh, the style of play suits the Bruins a little bit better. The uh, history is one, a little bit more experience of winning and, and winning in a certain type of way. And that's what will be the great challenge for Toronto is to, you know, you, you got to get over that hurdle at some point. I, I think it's actually a really good thing for the Leafs from just a uh, focus standpoint, from a desire standpoint, to get the Bruins again. You know, you just hope you can overcome some of the little things that have crept in the series. Last year, I was just looking back, the top players for the Bruins were far better. You know, in the series, they produced more. Uh, they had secondary scoring. Jake DeBrusk had five goals. Sean Corrali had a couple in that series. Like, their, their role players played better than the top guys in the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, you hope that the improvements that the Leafs have made and the depth that they have uh, will will change that balance. But like in any situation where you haven't beaten a team in a playoff series, you just got to dig in and find a way to get it done. And it might not be the way you think it is. It might not be in that fast, free-flowing game. It might be winning two out of the four games you have to win in one nothing or 2-1 fashion. And that's not typically something that Toronto's been able to do all year. All right, and I'm going to put you on the spot just to wrap up. Craig Simpson, lead analyst, Hockey Night in Canada. He's working Boston. Toronto starts tomorrow night in uh, Beantown. If the Leafs lose in four or five, is there any chance Mike Babcock's out in Toronto? Well, that's an interesting question. I, I think there's enough eyebrows raised when, you know, Sheldon Keefe got an extension in the AHL, uh, some of the comments about depth from Babcock uh, and Kyle Dubas. Uh, if they got swept, I would say I'd entertain a possibility, but Bob, I, I don't think it's going to happen now. But I think it might open the door that next year is a you know you got to win something or or changes are going to be made. All right, great stuff, uh, Craig. As always, we appreciate your time. I can honestly say this: I will be watching the series you're working on. From <laughs> yeah, start. it should be a good one. It'll be sure. a good one, absolutely. Great stuff, Craig. Thank you for your time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Craig Simpson. 12.56 in Edmonton. This is Oilers Now. Still to come on today's show, Mark Edwards of HockeyProspects.com. We're going to hope to get a conversation I had with Darnell Nurse as well. And uh, we do have that. Uh, we found... With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It went missing for about 24 hours. And uh, Jay Woodcroft, and there's something coming down the pipe with the American Hockey League shortly as well. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.